Well, welcome back to the Exacoach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners. I just want to remind you that you can tell others to listen to the show a couple days after it airs at our link on www.exacoachradio.com. And while you're there, you'll also find the Exacoach Audible, my one-minute recorded audio tip of the day, as well as other tools and strategies that you can put to work immediately to help your business. And don't forget to, to click on the links to learn more about our sponsors, Exit and Retirement Strategies, the Values Institute, and Olive Crest. So my second guest today is John Livingston, and John's with Plethora Businesses. Uh, I've known John for quite a while, and I'm really pleased he came on the show to talk about what he's been doing with M&A and in helping business owners get ready for sale. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be here. It's great to see you. And uh, hey, I just wanted to maybe start with if you could give our listeners a little bit of background. Tell us about yourself and uh, what you've what you've done in your career and and how you got to where you are now. Well, many many years ago, as evidenced by my gray hair, I was in public accounting with one of the big eight accounting firms, and I spent a number of years there. And during that time, I got exposed to the transaction business, the merger and acquisition business, and I found myself um, enthralled. Mm-hmm. And since then, I have been doing uh, managing business, M&A type businesses for probably almost 30 years now. Plethora businesses, what are they all about? I've been there about three and a half, four years, mm-hmm. and we specialize in small middle market companies, primarily, you know, the entrepreneur type individual mm-hmm. who is now interested in retiring. So the owner-operated businesses, a lot of times, the, what, the mom and pops out there, right? Uh, what sizes businesses? What sizes in terms of revenues or sales? Or most of our most of our engagements run between a million on the low end in terms of sales and twenty million on the high end. Mm-hmm. You know, there's variance, but that's pretty much what it is. Oh, there's tons of businesses in that size, especially here in Southern California, but all over the country. Yeah, that's the meat and potatoes of uh, American business, right? That's the place where we need to be. That's where all the entrepreneurs have been and the growth of this country has been derived. I think those are America's uh, real unsung heroes out, people that will you know, hang out a shingle and take a chance every day, and, and as, despite the government being after them and everybody else, uh, they still make a go of it. It's kind of remarkable. You talk to these people, and they're the most hardworking group of people you ever want to meet. When do they come to you? When do you typically see them first coming to someone like yourself? We normally will engage someone or at least begin the discussions with someone probably a year before that they're looking to actually sell their business for two reasons. One, it takes time to prepare it, and two, it takes about a year to sell it. Okay, takes about a year, and in today is that normal, or is that just today's marketplace? Or uh, I think that's probably pretty consistent. You know, by the time you prepare uh, marketing material, go to market, uh, identify buyers. Uh, choose a, a particular buyer to, to proceed with and go through the process, it takes the better part of a year. What are some of the first steps that they have to take when you first talk with them? Well, the thing, I, I like to get involved early. Mm-hmm. Part of my business is actually doing pre-sale consulting. And I'll go in uh, early on, a year, year and a half in advance, not much longer than that because then it becomes irrelevant. And you try to organize the business in a manner such that it's easier to sell. You want to go through and identify problem areas. Right. You want to try to find solutions for the problems. You want to present a company that's clean and neat and well-organized and well-managed and go to market with the best product you can. 
Now, when you say uh, problem areas, what are some of the things that you see that that could could people should start planning for now? So when they come to see you, they're not problem areas anymore. Well, you, I mean, you, it's limited by your imagination almost. You know, every company has its own unique uh, set of of issues. But a lot of times, and if it's a manufacturing company, you might see some problems in in inventory. There might mm-hmm. be old inventory, excess inventory, those kinds of things. You might see some problems in um, in accounts receivable. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been doing business with the same people for 30 years, and they know they're going to pay, but somehow a 30 year a 30 day receivable is now 180 days old, and a buyer's not going to like that. I see. Okay. So you go through some of those kinds of things. Um, you look at a lot of times you have employees are also relatives. Okay. You kind of want to identify those issues. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Right, right. That's a lot of businesses, I think, would say that they have someone on the payroll that has the same last name, right? Yeah, Yeah, but you probably want to make sure that they show up. (laughs) You mean they have to show up, too? Yeah, they actually do something. Uh, So you have those kinds of issues. So are are these these are the kind of things that are going to come out sooner or later, is what you're, right? Is Is that what you're getting at? If you get to the point of due diligence, yeah. then somebody's going to come in and look at all those issues. Okay. And what you want to have done in advance is anticipated those issues and be prepared for them or solve them. Okay, so we've talked about family potential issues, balance sheet yeah. kind of inventory issues, issues, inventory. I'll tell you one thing that I've seen a lot is the business is all about the owner. The owners all over the org chart. You see that a lot in, in see, businesses? You, you see it all the time, and it actually has, uh, there's multiple implications. I have a, a client now that I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do with. So the business is about 20 years old. He started it. Mm-hmm. He works 90 hours a week. Wow. And he does three jobs. Wow. So when we're trying to value that business, we're going to have to put in three people for him. Are there 90 hours even in a week? I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> trying to remember. Yeah, that's that's quite a. So yeah, you're going so you're gonna have to replace one owner, probably not paying himself all. You know, who knows that well? But to replace him with three people. Yeah, and so it, it has impact upon a lot of things, not the least of which is valuation, because all you all of a sudden you've burdened the company with more salary. Yeah, yeah. What about that? I mean, a lot of owners bury a lot in their P and Ls, and they they run their businesses for lifestyle, right? A lot of them have after 20 or so years, and they're running it to minimize taxes. Of course. That's something that you probably take a look at early on to recast, or, or how do you... Oh, of course. We spend you know spend a lot of time, actually, we'll go through the process of trying to identify... We could call them personal expenses. You know, okay. I don't, I don't okay. you know, there's there's a, there's a number of ways to describe it, but it's basically that you know stuff that it's lifestyle stuff. A lot of meals and entertainment. Yeah, that meals and entertainment. I've got, I've got a, I had a client that had an, an engineering software engineering company and had a plane, which was absolutely unnecessary, but he had a plane, so we had to figure out how to 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 get the plane off the balance sheet and do all those kinds of things. Yeah, I had somebody with an RV that put the name of their business on it yeah, and said it's a billboard. Cl- <laughs> yeah, close enough. <laughs> well, so so they have to. What do they do at that point? Do they well, to- we just in in when we recast their income uh-huh. to try to mm-hmm. develop a, a valuation model. Sure. We just adjust for those kinds of things and make sure we have an explanation so that when somebody looks at the financial statements, they understand what the differences are. And why is that important when you're courting buyers for the business? Well, you want to look at the core business. I mean, you don't. You want to. You know, if a buyer buys the business, it's up to he's, he's going to want to burden it with whatever his personal issues are, but not somebody else's. So you want to separate that stuff out. 
and identify the uh, and identify the P&L without regard to those things. And that just that's the genesis of the valuation model. Is is the net income? Is the, yeah, is yeah. a net income or some or cash flow or whatever model you choose to use. So do you have people that say I don't want to pay more taxes now, so that's why I do all that? And they're shortchanging themselves at the time of a sale, or or is that wash out? It, it, usually, you don't have that issue. Okay. It, uh, usually, that somebody, you know, I mean, they basically say, "Here, this is a, you know, this is my personal car. This is this. This is that." Right. And you just adjust it through the through the valuation model. Okay. Well, that's that's very interesting. We're talking with John Livingston of Plethora Businesses, and John, you've given us a lot of good information. What kind of things can you tell people they should start doing today? So that they're good and ready to go. Is it is a competitive marketplace today? I guess I'm asking. It's well. I guess there's two questions there. The marketplace right now is a little confused. I think. Okay. Um, we've got you've got a lot of people who made it through the 2007, 2008, 2009 kind of fiasco, and some didn't. The ones that did, their businesses are now starting to come up to normalization mm-hmm. their 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 uh, sales are increasing they're doing that kind of stuff so they're confused as to whether or not now is the right time even though they want to retire right so they're not sure they're getting full value for it and you also have such so much legislative complexity it puts a lot of confusion into the market people are a little bit reticent to do anything they're afraid something's going to happen tomorrow you know yeah yeah they're worried about the government pulling back on their bond buying and all this all yeah. the things there's all you know washington the, the big question is the economy really yeah. primed up to and walk on its own and we've got new health care on board and that's that's causing some confusion so it's a little bit difficult in terms of timing right now i think there's a lot of people that are interested in in moving on with their lives but are, are reticent to do so at this point well, I, I can imagine that there's a lot of confusion. I mean, there's this whole coming out of this last recession, there were at least four false starts, it seems like, for a lot of people. They thought then, you know, the year was looking better and then it would fall apart. And that happened, you know, once it happens three or four times, you get pretty, pretty reluctant. Are a lot of people that come to you, are they disheartened when you tell them what their business would probably fetch for them? There's a pretty good sized disconnect right now between the, the expectation of a seller and the reality of the market, it's a learning process. Mm-hmm. It's just you have to understand that, you know, that's what the market bears and that's what's going to happen at this point in time. Well, and if they come and figure out what that formula or what that's looked like, then they at least have something to go back and work on, right? Yeah, part of the, part of the, part of the process is to go through a relatively sophisticated analysis of value and how you derive that value and what what constituent parts create that value and then you present that to a to a business owner so at least he has a he she or it has a has a uh, has a reasonable basis for making a determination and and, and a decision that's great so so uh, knowing that information they can work on it and maybe if they're not ready today then then at least they're in a pipeline and they can come back it is a very common occurrence where we identify issues and timing and somebody walks away and says i'll call you in a year great i've been talking with john livingston of plethora businesses we're going to take a brief break right now and when we come back i want to talk a little bit more about some of the horror stories and some of the tips and strategies and precautions that our listeners can employ thank you
Were you born between 1946 and 1964? If so, you're a baby boomer. Did you know that there are over 12 million baby boomer business owners in the U.S.? And they all have one thing in common. Someday, every one of them will exit their business. And a large number of them want to exit in the next five years. What about you? What's your five-year plan? At Exit and Retirement Strategies, we work every day with business owners like you. As your exit coach, we create a planning roadmap that your tax, legal, and financial advisors can all work together from as a team to help you reach your goals. Then we make sure the work gets done on a prioritized basis. This approach saves time and money. If you want to start the clock on your five-year exit plan, call Bill Black, the exit coach, at 866-370-3774 for a free consultation. That's 866-370-3774. We'll help you find your exit. Hi, everybody. This is Spike Real with The Exit Coach. Business owners, can you name the eight key value drivers that you and your managers should be focusing on to increase the value of your business? Introducing the Sellability Score Index. Visit our website and answer 25 questions about your business, and you will instantly receive your Sellability Score, showing you how well you stack up in the eight value driver areas. It's a great management tool. It's absolutely free for our listeners. Just visit ExitCoachRadio.com and click Get My Sellability Score. Welcome back to the Exit Coach Radio Show. I'm talking with John Livingston of Plethora of Businesses, and we've been talking about do's and don'ts for business owners who want to get ready and go to market at some point, and John helps businesses do that. John, can you tell us a, a couple, uh, maybe give us a story about somebody that came to you and, and what they looked like and uh, maybe a success story, how it came from... Uh, I want. To, I think I want to sell, and and you went out and did your work, and they had a happy outcome. Well, there's a, hopefully there's been a lot of those. Hopefully, but there's more than one. There's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of those. But it's actually a story that just happened a month or so ago. It was kind of interesting. I was called in to a project that was actually already in, in process. Mm-hmm. A buyer and seller had met and and conversed and okay. and tried to get a deal done between them, which is often the case. There's a lot of emotion involved. Well, I was going to say I've I've talked to a lot of people that said I don't really need somebody. I have a a buyer lined up. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Uh, they get emotional and it, involved. It, it's emotional and and it it could be anything. We all we call it the green rug. It's some irrelevant asset that's a green rug in the corner that somebody gets emotional about and, <laughs> and kind of me- okay. kind of messes up the whole deal but they couldn't agree they ha- it was a relatively decent sized transaction and they they couldn't agree upon a reasonably small amount of accounts receivable the buyer was adamant that they were bad the seller was adamant that they were good and it was just this this loggerhead. They couldn't they couldn't get by it. Was it a big issue or relative? It was to the whole a, thing? an emotional and big issue to okay. them, but relative to the yeah, but financially, rel- no, relative to the transaction, it wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't a big deal at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. So they finally picked up the phone, and the the seller picked up the phone and called me, and I came in, and we looked at it for about an hour and a half, two hours, and I said, we'll carve out the receivables, and we just took those receivables that were the subject of the argument. Mm-hmm. And made a note payable to the seller for those receivables that were only payable upon the collection of those receivables. Okay. Transaction done, and we moved down the street. Everybody was happy, and everybody was happy, and it went away. So the takeaway from that is, though, is that especially an entrepreneur mm-hmm. who's thirty years in the business, passionate about their business and their life, right? And it's been their life. There's so much emotion involved. It's very, very difficult for them to be objective 
about the process. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is their business, their passion, their employees are kind of like family members in a lot of cases, it's, right? It's their life, and it's interesting that you bring up employees. Employees are a huge part of the equation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I try to do, well, it's not I try to do, I do it every time, whether somebody agrees with me or not, it's a different <laughs> issue. Uh-huh. I try to sit down with an owner and go through and either make him or he or she or me or somebody go through the process of identifying the most important parts of that transaction to them. What are their goals? I see. Okay. And write them down. Mm-hmm. You know, the easy answer is I want the most money I can get. Well, well, it's not always about money. Yeah. yeah right. You'll find that a great percentage of the time, and I'm not going to guess what it might be, employees are a big issue. Yeah. And the employee, and, and protecting my employees, and my employees have been here for 25 years and 20 years, and I don't want them to be terminated, and I don't want their benefits to be diminished, and yep. I don't want this, and I don't want that. And you get the other issues where you've got a second-in-command who's not an owner. But right. I'm your employee, okay, and is very material to the business, mm-hmm. and can walk away tomorrow. So you have to deal with those kinds of issues. So employee issues are a big deal, a huge deal. Because after what, uh, what's the saying I heard is, most of my best assets go home yeah. every night, yeah. right? Yeah. Al- although they're not on the balance sheet a lot of the time, employees are a huge yeah. issue. Well, we had a call-in question, I think, Paul. What was the question? We had somebody call in thinking of selling my business. Is there a starting formula, a basic formula, where do you start? Uh, is it two times net, one times gross? Where, where do you start trying to figure out what your business is worth? You start with a description of the business mm-hmm. and just to, to say in a, in a vacuum that you can go from 2x to, to 10x in terms of multiples of earnings or something is, is absurd. You have to understand the business. You have to understand what, you know, what its services, whether it's a branded business, whether it's a service business, what it is. And how big it is, too. And how and big and it how is. how well run. And, yeah. All and, those and things. How, and how bad the buyer wants it, right? Exactly. And there's multiple methodologies to, to do valuations, but you can derive a value, at least as starting point. So when someone first comes to you, you have to do a lot of fact-finding and digging through a lot of data to come up with, here's what we think we could get for this business out in the marketplace, right? Absolutely. You have to spend, I mean, you have to kind of do due diligence on the business. You have to understand what it is. I've asked people questions in an initial meeting. I said, okay, if somebody slid a bunch of money under the table, how would you grow your business with all this additional capital? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get a very cogent directed, focused answer, and sometimes you get a stare at you like, what are you talking about? That's (laughs) a completely different business. Let's face it, a lot of the baby boomers that that are our listeners have been doing it for 20 years, 25 years, sometimes 30 years, and they're they're a little tired. They've, they've settled into kind of a lifestyle business, especially after they've had to resurrect from this last recession. And I know there's, there's an old saying out there, if there's no E in your EBITDA, no formula is right. Yeah, exactly <laughs> correct. Uh, so for those who don't know what that means, it's if there's no net earnings in your, in your company, then it's going to be tough to make a case for someone to buy it because a lot of people are buying it. For their return on investment, that's why people buy a business, right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's sometimes there's some strategic purposes, but generally people are buying it to earn money. You know, earnings are history, mm-hmm. and we buy a company based upon what you've done, not what your expectations are. 
unfortunately valuable. Unless you're, unless you're Google, right? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Twitter or one of those guys. Right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, you have a lot of people who have expectations about uh, about valuations based upon what they think is going to happen in the future, and buyers don't care. Mm-hmm. Buyers are buying your history. Where they discount, they'll discount whatever your yeah. story is into the future, and yeah. the more pie in the sky and less documented it is, the bigger the discount. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a backlog of real deals or something like that, certainly that makes that uh, that impacts your value. But if it's just I expect growth of twenty five percent a year, right? That may or may not make any difference to anybody. Now, just briefly, um, what's the difference I hear about asset sales versus stock sales? What are most in your niche? What are most people buying? Uh, what are buyers buying? Most of the time, people tend to want to do asset transactions. Mm-hmm. General reason for that is that it cuts off any liabilities following the company, following the assets, following the business. We do both. Uh-huh. You see sometimes you see some stock deals and there's reasons for it. There's sometimes there's tax reasons, sometimes there's there's licensing reasons, there's a lot of reasons. So you you, you do both. Right. Right. Well, if you're a seller, you probably want to negotiate for the stock, right? For the capital gains treatment and reduce your taxes. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah. And if yeah. you're a buyer, you probably want to get the assets you can depreciate those and uh, and get well the big issue is is one is depreciation and two is cutting cutting off the liability you know if you buy a if you buy the stock of a company and there's contingent liabilities out there that you don't know about they're going to follow that company right okay and so uh, you know if an asset transaction you kind of cut that off so the bottom line is there are a whole bunch of reasons why you want to approach uh, someone like John Livingston at Plethora Businesses, when you're thinking about buying your business or selling your business in the future, excuse me, how do our listeners find you and, and uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you, John? The simplest way to get me is on my mobile email. It's j.living, L-I-V-I-N-G, 8893 at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, I sure do appreciate you coming in to talk to us today. It's been a fascinating show, and one of the things I want to remind our listeners is that you can tell friends about this, and it will be back on our website. You'll find the archives at uh, exitcoachradio.com. Again, thank Paul Roberts, who's done his usual outstanding job at the board, and my staff producer, Julie Tabazon, who keeps me on task and handles all the details of running the show. We'll be back again live next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific with two more top professionals. We'd like you to please remember us to your friends on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners. Join us live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on octalkradio.net. And don't forget to listen to The Audible, our daily one-minute tip of the day on exitcoachradio.com. The Exit Coach Radio Show is brought to you by Exit and Retirement Strategies. We'll help you find your exit. For Exit Coach Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying so long for now. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Exit and Retirement Strategies Incorporated and J.W. Cole Financial are not affiliated. Any opinions are those of Bill Black and not necessarily those of J.W. Cole Financial or J.W. Cole Advisors Incorporated.